0: at the beginning. You may have noticed this cool cross uh, sitting up here at the front. This was actually made this Lenten season. I wanted to bring it and share it with you um, by our children's ministry here at IPC. And they, uh, on Ash Wednesday or the Sunday, either just before or just after Ash Wednesday, each took a turn and nailed one of these little nails in to form this cross. And then over the last uh, six weeks, I guess, of Lent, what they did was they took rubber bands, and, and every time they would put a, ru- a rubber band in between two of these nails, they would say a prayer for someone or something. And so, you know, if I wish we had had, you know, um, more time to talk about this for some of the kids here, but when you see the children come through here, you know, the first Sunday of the month, we usually have a children's worship program downstairs, or if you come to the morning service and you see children running around, um, whenever I see something like this, I always think of just the beauty of the spirituality of children and why Jesus welcomed them so readily. So I wanted to share that with you all uh, this evening as well. So if you want to come look at it after the service, I'd encourage you to. It's great. Uh, Let's open up our Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 22. We're going to be continuing in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we have two more weeks. Tonight is gentleness, and next week is self-control. Ah... so tonight, we started with a passage from Palm Sunday, which we celebrate on the calendar a week before Easter of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And then what we're going to read uh, for Easter is actually more of a Good Friday passage. It's, it's leading up to Jesus' arrest and, and um, before he goes to the cross, but I think it shows a beautiful image of his gentleness that we want to discuss and share with this world. So please follow along with me, either on the screen or in your Bibles. Uh, Luke chapter 22, first verses 47 to 53, and then we'll jump ahead to verse 66 through 71. Here, Luke's Gospel. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. He touched the man's ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour. When darkness reigns. And then, jumping down to verse 66. At daybreak, the council of elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, you are right in saying that I am. And then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we have these two passages, and here we are on Easter. And I love this day. I love Easter so much. I love Easter for a lot of reasons. Uh, I love good food. I love celebrating with friends. Today I celebrated with um, a wonderful lunch with friends and smuggled lamb from the United Kingdom. Um, Ask Hannah about that. Um, but, but, But you know what's funny is, most of all, really selfishly, I love this day for me. And I think you should love this day for you. You know, this is the day that Christ gave you eternity. This is the day we remember the sacrifice of our God. And tonight we're going to talk about one of the things of Jesus that I struggle with so much to understand. We're going to talk about his gentleness. You know, both of these passages in Luke, having to do with a few days before his death and resurrection, but they're very important to understand this fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentions in Galatians 5 of gentleness. That he says all Christians should have these traits through the power of the Spirit. You know, and Jesus was a lot of things when he walked the earth. He was devout and committed. We know this. He was patient and loving with people, especially, I mentioned how he welcomes children. And he was powerful. He healed many. He cast out demons. He casted out legions of demons. He even rose people from the dead. He conquered wind and waves. He was remarkable. But maybe his most remarkable human characteristic was his gentleness, Consider how he used his power and his influence. Consider how he spoke and who he spoke with. The outcasts, the sinners, all of us who needed him. In our first passage tonight, we see Jesus as gentle, but also with really strong convictions. It's the triumphal entry, and what's amazing is, is you know I don't remember this passage. I always remember the story as a kid. We didn't go to church a lot, and my mom would drag us to church on Christmas and Easter. And I always remember the Palm Sunday thing, and, and I never went to church really leading up to it very much. And so you know you get the palm branch, and I didn't know what I was singing, and I'd kind of wander up to the front of the church, and I'd look forward to maybe the Easter egg hunt afterwards. And I had a problem with um, eating too much, too many sweets, and so I really looked forward to Easter for all the chocolate, but. But I remember getting older, and I think it was in college, I finally realized this passage in Luke. In verse 41, it says that when he looked out over Jerusalem, that it broke his heart. That he wept over this city. This is what people think about when they think of gentleness. They think of someone really sensitive or someone crying over something. But Jesus was... It was deeper than that. It wasn't just that it made him sad. It wasn't just that he he knew what was going to happen. It was sort of this culmination of all of these things that were happening. And that here he was, knowingly going to give himself for these people, and he knew that they wouldn't get it. You know, much like when Lazarus dies and he's alone with with Mary and Martha and, and, and James and John, he just weeps because so much of this overwhelmed him sometimes. And it says here that he just loved this city so much and he knew that they didn't understand what was going to happen. And when we hear this story, we think, yeah, okay, Jesus being gentle, crying, I get it. Gentle people cry, fine. But we don't often consider what happens next as being gentle, but I think it's really important. In Luke's Gospel, the way he writes it out is he says the first thing he did when he entered the city was he goes to the temple. And the first thing he does when he goes to the temple, he tells us is that he drives out all the money changers, that he kicks them all out of the temple. You know, if people thought he was going to be leading a rebellion or, or you know, create this sort of new kingdom, they might have thought maybe he would go to the Roman officers area or, or to a place to incite a rally or a rebellion and go start teaching to gain more and more followers. But instead, he goes and he drives out the money changers in his father's house. It reminds me of Luke chapter 2 when the boy Jesus goes to visit the temple and his parents accidentally leave him behind and they run back looking for him and he says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And if you read the passage in Luke, he quotes the Old Testament prophets and he kicks them out. See, when we think about the gentleness of Jesus, when we think about this characteristic of Jesus, I see a man who was tender and who was loving, but also when it was time to act, he acted in a way that also glorified God. See, do not think of gentleness as this passivity or, you know, I always use the phrase, don't think of it as a doormat, as you're just someone who lays down for other people all the time. Jesus was someone who gave his life for others, but when it came time to stand for what was most important, the things that glorify God, he stood. And he actually got anger. Other passages about this same time tell us that Jesus was angry at what he saw. You know, so know this, if you are someone who sort of runs hot, if you are someone who's passionate, that's okay. Okay. And even anger does not always have to be a bad thing, as we know and we learn that it is what we do with our anger that can either lead to praise or to trouble. And I use this phrase, I love this phrase in English called righteous indignation. That because of his righteousness, because of what he knew was right, it made him so angry and he just had to act. And we see here in Jesus that being gentle is not just being passive, But being strong enough to wait, to use discernment for when the proper time comes to stand for what is right. Because as he approached this city, as he saw the Solomon's Temple standing on the Temple Mount, that you could see from all around, it broke his heart to know that the very presence of where God dwelt among these people That these people were taking advantage of Passover crowds. These people were turning it into a den of robbers to make money. And this is what made him weep. Not the Roman rulers. Not the fact that they were under control of somewhere thousands of miles away. No, what made him weep was that the people did not worship in spirit and in truth. That the high priests had been sold for a cost and a price. The status of worship in Jerusalem broke his heart. And if we desire to be like Christ, what are the hearts of the people around us like? Do the things we see in this world, whether it be our hometown, whether it be here in Switzerland, whether it be wherever, do the things we see around us bring us to tears? Do they stir up in us righteous indignation that makes us want to act and do that which is right? You know, what is the status of a city like Zurich when it comes to our worship? You know, and this is going to be a future focus of in the evening service and the months and in the rest of this year. We're going to talk a lot more about how we love and reach out to the city of Zurich. Especially what it says, if you read the IPC's Constitution, it says that we, are, we exist to minister to the English-speaking community of Zurich. We want this to be a focus, and that's one of the reasons I chose this passage. Jesus, as he goes up to Jerusalem, his heart is breaking, and many of us know that if we sit and look out over Zurich, we see beauty and we see old church steeples and we see so much wonderful history. But is it a place... That is worshiping God? Is it a place that is honoring God? The second thing we see in our second passage is, is Jesus was also gentle in, in how he was arrested and dealing with the high priests. In verse 47 of Luke 22, while Jesus was talking to the disciples, this crowd comes up, right? We've all seen, if you haven't seen the Passion, you should see it. Um, it'll only take once for you to always remember it. This crowd comes up, and, and, and they come to arrest him. And it's in the dark, and we know the story. Judas goes, and he tells him, hey, the guy I kiss is the one you want to arrest. And he goes, and he, and he goes to betray Jesus, and Jesus obviously knows what's happening. He knows why he is there. Notice Jesus doesn't run. He doesn't argue. He doesn't fight it. He doesn't start debating. He, doesn't, he just lets the situation play out. And in verse 49 and 50, we see his disciples acting in the complete opposite way. They panic. What should we do? We we, we brought our swords. Should we use them? And before they can even get an answer from Jesus, it says in Luke's gospel that one of the disciples just goes and chops the guy's ear off. See, we see... It's this perfect sort of juxtaposition. Here's Jesus as calm and collected and and allowing things to come to him and, and, and in control of the situation and trusting God. And then here's these disciples so nervous and so anxious and so desiring to act and be in control that they do something stupid. You know, the Matthew account I love, this is what it says in Matthew's account of this event. After that happens, the disciple cuts the guy's ear and he says, this is Jesus' response, he says, put your sword back in its place for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. I love Jesus'. He says, I cannot, do you think, I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. I love Jesus' response. He says, listen, Don't you think I could handle this if I really wanted to? Do I really need you to pull out a sword? There's all these people here to arrest me. What good is that going to do? And I think of that line that Jesus says that all who live by the sword will die by the sword. And I think of the troubles this world has had with the violence and the troubles that Christians especially have had engaging in violence and and, and trying to represent God in a way that is just sword first, sword first, sword first. And and let me just say that, yes, surely there are times when conflict is, is inevitable, there is injustice that must be stopped. I see that. But let's just take a step back and realize that many of us are not in a position of global political influence. So so when we think about what this passage teaches us, let us not worry about what world leaders are thinking about. Let's think about what it teaches us about our lives. For you and me today, how are you acting and responding to situations? Are you frantic? Are you panicking? Are you rushing to do something just to try to keep control and, and, and doing something stupid? How are you leading? How are you leading other people at work and at school and in your family? Are you gentle? Are you patient? Are you letting situations develop? You know, I read through scripture and I can't find a single time when Jesus ever mistreated anyone who mistreated him. I mean, how often do we leave an interchange or a conversation or a time with family or friends and we sort of start thinking about how we handled ourselves and we just think, oh gosh, I need to call and make an apology? Oh gosh, I got to write an email. Maybe I can just get away with a quick text message and say, I'm sorry. When I read through the Gospels and see the life of Christ, especially how he dealt with the hardest time in his life, the night of his arrest and the day of his death, he showed amazing gentleness. And additionally, when we go on and read this story in the other Gospels, we learn, actually from John's Gospel, he tells us that it was Peter who drew his sword. No surprise there. But that the servant, he actually names the the servant who lost his ear and who Jesus healed. He, he, He gives him the name and he says his name was Malchus. And imagine that guy's story. I really hope that man became a Christian. I really hope that man, when Jesus grabbed his ear and somehow miraculously reattached it, looking into his eyes, that that man became a believer in Jesus Christ. But either way, As we see in verses 52 and 53 that he lets them take him. And he says, this is when you choose to act in the darkness. It's a stark contrast with with Jesus' actions and how Jesus represents himself to how the high priest and the leading authorities do. They act in darkness, they act in secret. And here we see again, he could have stopped at any time. Jesus could have. He says, "If if I wanted to, I could call down angels right now. And so my question to us, as we think ahead to this gentleness idea and, and really think about our own lives, if we can act, does that always mean that we should? If we can speak up because we know better, does that always mean that we should? And here we see Jesus in front of the high priests and the leaders. And he does that exact thing. He has the chance to finally speak up for himself, and this is what we read. Look at at verse 66. Verse 66 starts out by saying, at daybreak, Jesus was with all these people. It's interesting how the story sort of shifts. At darkness, all these bad things were happening and they arrested him. But then at daybreak, Jesus is now between the high priests and the rulers. And we're going to find out the light is coming and Jesus is not going to deny who he is. I'm not sure if, that, if that's exactly what is meant, but I love how Scripture does that, that when light comes at daybreak, Jesus reveals who he is. And so in verse 67, they say, hey, tell us. If, you really, if you're this person, you need to tell us, which is kind of a fair request. But why would he? Jesus says, hey, you know it's not going to do any good if I tell you, you will not believe me. I've been telling you this all along. I've been doing miracles. I've been living this way the whole time, and you haven't gotten it. You know, I just raised a guy, Lazarus, from the dead, and you didn't know who I was or what I was doing. In fact, you sought to kill me. So what good would it do if I say, I am the Christ? And he goes on, and they say, if I, even if I asked you a question, you would not answer. But from now on, Jesus sort of just cranks it up and finally just says it. He finally just says, hey, you know what, I'm going to speak up, I'm going to let it be known, and that's it. From now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of mighty God. So wait a minute. So are you the Son of Man? Are you the Son of God? He says, yeah. You say that I am, and I am. He's not denying, he's not changing subjects, he's not doing a big flowery speech, he just simply says what is true and what they wanted to hear. Why not correct them? Why not preach more? Why not? I often wondered this. Why was Jesus so stingy with his words in his last day? You ever notice that? You read through scripture, and all the time he's preaching and teaching and doing all these great things, but in his last day, he doesn't say very much. Well, the reason is, is he's already done it. He's already tried to correct people. He's already lived his life in a certain way. He has taught love. He has taught mercy. He's done these things. He's lived this way for the last three years. And he's finally saying, hey, listen, if you don't get it by now, it's not going to help. And it's amazing to me that this is what we celebrate today. This is what we celebrate today. This event taking place that Jesus Christ rose from the dead after he died. And he is sitting with the almighty God. He did not need the last word. Jesus' gentleness is not like us where we need to have the last word, where we need to have the final say, where we need to be in control. See, gentleness is not forcing your belief on someone else. Gentleness is is not trying to convince everyone you see that you are right and you are right all the time. When I look at Christ... When I look at the, ex- the example set forth by Christ, I see that gentleness is believing in what you know, and living in a way that you live this out, that you love other people. And when someone asks you, you can answer, but you don't need to shout it from the rooftops all the time. And when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit and that these things will be evident in the life of the Christian, we are talking about a person who looks like Jesus, even under extreme duress. And my question that I wonder sometimes is, do we have the strength to stand for what we believe in when it's necessary? I mean, when it's necessary and we are pushed into a corner, do we have the strength to stand for what we believe in and make it clear that Christ is our Lord, that Christ is our Savior, and that we believe in his resurrection? You know, it's amazing to me that Jesus gave himself so willingly (coughs) And if you read through the scriptures, he doesn't make a whole lot of eloquent speeches. He quotes scripture. He quotes scripture in Psalm 22 on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He he says at one point, you know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He says at one point to the thief next to him, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. He preaches love and mercy and quotes scripture on the cross and never once... Has to have the last word. And when I look at Jesus, when I think about Easter, I see spiritual gentleness at its finest. I see Jesus revealing himself to those who would hear, being patient with those who struggle. You know, Easter started a long time ago when sin entered the world. In Christ, when he was on this earth, he knew who sent him. He knew his purpose was to glorify God. Do you know who sent you? Are you pointing people to God through a gentle spirit, loving words, and kind actions? Are you using the model of gentleness shown by Christ so that people know who sent you? Are you strong enough to be gentle? Think about that. Are you strong enough to be gentle? Because it takes tremendous strength. Just before our passage in verse 66 in Luke 22, it's not on the screen, so you may want to look at it. Think about the strength it took for our God to not say anything. In verse 63, the men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. Imagine that. This is our God. This is, the, this is the Son of God blindfolded and being hit from a different side by these soldiers and these guards and saying, hey, tell us who hit you. Think of the strength it took. It's a good thing we are not Jesus because most of us would not have taken that. I would have called down those legions of angels then and there. Oh, it would have been awesome. Awesome. I just wouldn't have took it. I just, I can't wrap my brain around it. But I realize when I read that, that this is the reason I need more gentleness in my life. And if you feel like me, that you can grow in gentleness, then I would tell you, I would encourage you to ask your Father in Heaven for more gentleness from the Spirit. Christ gave himself for you on the cross without you ever asking. He did it 2,000 years ago before you were even born. How much more would Christ give you if you actually go to the Father and ask? If Jesus gave his faultless life for you without your even asking, imagine what you might attain from God by going to him in prayer and asking. This week I have been praying for much more gentleness in my life. And I want to close our time tonight by thinking about the big picture of Easter. I want to close our time tonight by thinking about God having a plan. You know, in the story of Adam and Eve that we're all familiar with, sin entered into this world. And God had a plan. God had a plan to conquer that sin to bring his kingdom back to earth to bring the garden back to earth and to draw his lost children back to him imagine for a second if your child was lost imagine if your best friend was lost imagine if a parent or or someone was lost what would you do you would do whatever it took I mean, you hear stories about people who have lost loved ones. You hear stories about people who have lost children and have spent all of their money and all of their time and even done illegal things to try and bring someone back. What was God's plan to bring us back to him? God's plan was gentleness. God could have done anything. God could have... Snapped his metaphorical fingers. I don't know if God has fingers, but God could have snapped his fingers and just made everything fine and brought all of his children back, but he didn't. God could have had Jesus as a king riding on a white stallion and crushing the Roman Empire, but he didn't. To bring us back to him, God chose gentleness. Do you want to see change in your world? Do you want to see this city change? You want evil to stop? Don't use man's plan of violence and control. Don't allow anxiety and fear to rule you. Use God's plan. Bring gentleness to this earth. My prayer is for us that we would seek the strength of Jesus Christ to love and care for this world, that we would act when necessary, be truthful when necessary but that above all, we would use the plan God gave us and showed us in Jesus Christ, that we would bring gentleness to this world and that in doing so, this world would know who sent us. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you now knowing. Lord, we know you desire for us to grow in love, in mercy, and in gentleness. And so, Lord, we repent now of the times we have sought power and control. Lord, we we repent of the times we have been fearful and not trusted You. God, as we look to our future, I pray now that You would give more gentleness. Lord, I desire, I need more gentleness in my life, in my conversations, in my work, with my friends, with my family. Lord, use Your Spirit to create in me more gentleness. And Lord, I pray that we would all have the strength to use your plan to change this world. To use the plan of gentleness to show the world who sent us. Our God, the creator of heaven and earth. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us and rose again on the third day, that we would be washed white as snow. Amen.